How's it going, everybody? Good. It's kind of a weird morning, isn't it? Like transitioning to Kaya. Brandon's not here. Um, our praise team isn't here. Praise God for Brian and for John, right? Those guys are servants. They're amazing worship leaders, uh, and they understand what worship is. It's sacrifice, right? Um, and they're amazing students of the word, and we're blessed that in uh, the absence of uh, our praise team that they could be here and lead us in, in worship. But it's kind of a weird Sunday because a lot of our leaders aren't here, right? Guys that uh, kind of lead the service and things like that, and people that we lean on and that are a crutch to us in a good way uh, because we're following them as they follow the Lord. But this is really cool because it's giving a lot of the young leaders opportunities to really step up uh, and to, to lead without like a safety net, right? And sometimes that means you fall and you get scraped or whatever, but you get back up and you just keep moving. Uh, so I'm really proud of a lot of the young leaders that are stepping up today. I'm just going to take a time and pray. My wife is leading Praise in Lee Summit, and Brandon, our pastor, is preaching in Lee Summit, uh, and we desire that the people out there, uh, that their hearts, that their ears would be ready to receive that word, uh, and that would go forth with power, with authority, and that would convict people, right? We want God's word uh, to enter us in such a way that it promotes change in our life, right? Uh, so I'm going to pray that for uh, Lee Summit and for us here. Uh, God, we thank you so much uh, for the opportunity just to, to be here with family, uh, to look at these people, and I can truly say that they are my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord. Uh, and we just want to humble ourselves, God. Uh, I pray that we come with expectation to hear from you, uh, that we can get out of this uh, vain repetition of a Sunday morning where we just show up for service, uh, but we realize that we're here meeting uh, with the Lord of Lords, with the King of Kings, and that we get to, to be intimate with you in your word and, and how powerful that is, Lord. I pray that we would uh, recognize uh, that uh, through Jesus Christ, through the, the word of God, uh, we can have new life. Uh, and that's the same word that we get to read this morning. Uh, and, and that should prick us. That should uh, promote something in us, God. Uh, but we're still humbled by it. And uh, God, I just want to pray for Lee Summit, uh, Lord, that... Uh, hearts uh, and, and lives would be changed, um, that you'd use uh, our pastor and our worship team mightily out there uh, to encourage the brethren, Lee Summit. Um, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, I'm like super excited to be here, and I'm really excited because I've got like this last minute audible. Um, I was probably up till 2 o'clock in the morning working on this PowerPoint. PowerPoints are like really weird to me. It's visual and... Uh, but uh, this Sunday morning, um, through praise, through other things, I got just like, God got a hold of my heart, and I feel like I'm probably going to go a different direction. So you can actually scrap the whole PowerPoint and just build up a black screen, because we're going to be in a different part of the Bible this morning. <laughs> That's weird, huh? So we're going to be in John chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me. Do we, if we have notes, uh, the, the, the passage, or the, I guess the title for uh, this message is going to be uh, Spiritual Deficiency and No Physical Sufficiency. 
It's like a, a wordplay. I thought it was clever. <laughs> so we're going to be in John chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 10. And uh, what we're reading, I'll read it out loud for you. But it's a dialogue between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus, uh, who is a so-called ruler of the Jews. And, and Jesus, uh, in this passage, uh, is establishing a, a core spiritual truth, uh, the nature of spiritual life. In the midst of this conversation, Jesus uses physical pictures to bear witness to spiritual realities, right? He's using physical things to bear witness to uh, spiritual truths, to spiritual realities. And these pictures are going to reveal a couple of things. They're going to reveal a spiritual deficiency in Nicodemus' life and in the life of any non-believer, right? Uh, It will discredit any fleshly sufficiency, anything that he can do in and of himself to to earn uh, to a place where he is able to, to be in the presence of God, right? And it provides the only solution. And we're going to find what that, what that is uh, as we read in the passage. Uh, so again, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, let's just read out the passage out loud and uh, see what God has for us. So John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, uh, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Okay, so this is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. I think this is, like, beyond cool. So whenever I read the Bible... Jesus talks to me, right? Whenever we're reading, it's God's word to us, right? So whenever I see in scriptures where Jesus is interacting with like a person one-on-one, uh, it's very, very intimate. And, and honestly, it speaks to me how like Jesus speaks to me, right? We're seeing him engage with someone one-on-one, uh, that's how we engage with the scriptures. Uh, so I find uh, so much insight there, and I think it's just really, really beautiful uh, to see how he desires to interact with, honestly, his children, so just to set this up, uh, where how we got to this point, um, in Malachi, uh, at the end of Malachi, which is like the last book of the Old Testament, we see uh, 400 years uh, of silence, complete silence, right? God's not speaking to nobody. Right? He's just went cold, right? 
Um, and he's not speaking, but instead, uh, is anybody in theater in like high school or college? There's a couple of us. But whenever like the curtains draw back in theater, there's like a ton that's going on because they're rearranging the set, right? And, and that's what this 400 years is. Uh, Jesus isn't speaking. There's nothing going on. Uh, maybe that we can hear audibly, uh, or really that we can uh, see in the moment. But Jesus is acting as a, God's acting as a stage crew, uh, rearranging uh, the stage. Um, and uh, when we enter in in Matthew and the, the, the New Testament, we come in and it's a completely different atmosphere. In that 400 year gap, uh, it switched from Persian to, to Greek rule, uh, which would prove to be really instrumental uh, for the proclamation of the gospel, right? It, uh, gave a, a common language uh, for the gospel to be promoted. Uh, it established um, uh, a universal language, the mind and method to promote God's word. Uh, by 166, uh, a period of Jewish independence is ushered in uh, with the help of Judas uh, Maccabeus, uh, who's instrumental in uh, shaping the Jewish per- perception of what the returning Messiah is going to look like, Right? They're expecting him uh, to come in and to deliver the people from this physical oppression. They want a warrior. They want a savior. And and finally, the the Jewish people came into Roman rule, uh, whose order and infrastructure and roads and all these things uh, allow for the mobility of the gospel to to seep into uh, the whole world. And all the while, uh, the separatist group of Pharisees is just like bubbling up. They're emerging uh, as sticklers, as legalists to the law uh, amidst growing assimilation. Uh, there's a, a strict of, or a sect of strict religious rulers uh, whose whole lives are dedicated to the law. And they are the Jews of the Jews, right? These are like those guys. Uh, they, if anyone, are looking for uh, the coming Messiah. Uh, who's the foundation for their entire belief system. And when put face-to-face with him uh, in this passage, uh, not only uh, do they not recognize him, uh, but they're set at odds against him, right? Uh, Because he comes how they didn't expect him. He comes in the form of a lowly servant. He comes uh, as the son of a carpenter. Uh, He looks nothing like what they're looking for. Uh, so when we find him in John chapter 2, which is just the, the chapter before this, uh, Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. Uh, he's just begun uh, preaching. Uh, he's uh, performing miracles. He's in Jerusalem and at the temple. Um, and uh, John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day. Many believed in his name uh, when they saw the miracles which he did. Uh, so we see that he's starting to amass uh, kind of a following, right? Uh, people are starting to follow Jesus, uh, and he's kind of perking the interest a lot of, of a lot of the Jews, uh, including the religious rulers, including uh, the Pharisees, including a man named Nicodemus. Uh, so this is where we find ourselves in John chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, There is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a master come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So if we were a Jewish audience, like reading this passage or hearing this, 
uh, we would be on like the edge of our seats right now. Right? There's a, a literary structure that's used throughout the entire Bible uh, that's huge in really the Middle East and in a lot of Jewish writing, uh, and it's this idea of parallelism, right? So they set Jesus, this man, and Nicodemus, this Pharisee, next to each other, and we were able to start drawing comparisons and contrasts, right? Um, so if we look at Nicodemus, uh, his name literally means victory of the people, right? He would be out of this elite circle, out of these uh, religious rulers, these Pharisees that we've been talking about. Uh, he is uh, a faithful Jewish man. Um, he's out of, like, the Ivy League of, uh, of this uh, religious system. In contrast to Jesus, Jesus is a carpenter. He's from the lowly city of Nazareth, uh, where they say, has anything good come out of Nazareth, Right? Um, who ministers to publicans, he ministers to sinners. Uh, his posse, his followers are a bunch of fishermen. Uh, he is just a common man. Uh, and immediately we see the stark contrast between these types of people, right? Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews, and he's coming, and he's humbling himself down between, before Jesus, who is a Jew, right? And not just any Jew, like he's, by all means, like a lowly Jew. Uh, the meeting continues to be... Uh, perplexing uh, because he, he humbles himself before him and he calls him rabbi. And if we go back to, to John chapter 1, it's to be interpreted uh, master, right? Uh, and so he's humbling himself. He's giving Jesus the authority in his life. Um, this is huge. It's jarring. It's not normal. And we don't really know what to make of it, right? From this first two verses, it's just like trying to get our bearings. It's like, what, what do we do with this? Something's happening here, but we can't quite figure it out. And it's just setting us up for what we're going to hear. So clearly there's a larger conversation taking place. Um, the first thing that, uh, that Nicodemus says is that uh, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Right? So Nicodemus knows that Jesus is of God, because of his, uh, of, of his miracles. Uh, his physical actions bear witness to his, uh, his spiritual realities. Uh, his physical actions bear witness to his uh, physical realities. So that's a, a key observation. When we go through this, I'm going to give you some key observations, okay? And then we're going to give key points based off those observations. So key observation number one is that our physical actions bear witness to our spiritual realities. Right? Whenever we're in the workplace, whenever we're living our lives, uh, how we hold ourselves, how we conduct ourselves, uh, it points back to, to what our spiritual reality is. So as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, our, the way that we walk, the way that we carry ourselves in this world should, uh, should look a certain way, right? Uh, it should be true of someone that is a saint. Uh, key observation number one is that we must take time to consider what our lives reflect to the lost world. We must take time to consider what our lives reflect to the lost world. If we look in Romans chapter one, it says that creation bears witness to the fact that there's a God, right? Creation, we can look at creation, we can look at uh, the creatures, at the, uh, that everything exists. We can look at how perfect uh, everything works together. Uh, we can look at uh, the water and the skies and the trees, and we can know that all that points back uh, to a creator, right? And so if we are 
honestly, the, the pinnacle of creation, right? Uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 2, uh, he, he, uh, we see that God created man and created man in his own image, right? Uh, God created us very special. Um, then we of all people, we out of everything in creation should bear uh, witness to the fact that there is a God, right? Our lives should reflect, our lives should hold true that God exists. Uh, and so do our lives reflect that? Do the way that we carry ourselves reflect that? Um, there's a, a man named Jay Grimwood, uh, and he, uh, man, he loved on my family. Uh, when my family was first getting plugged into church uh, here in Kansas City, um, he was really instrumental in reaching out to my dad. Uh, my dad grew up in a very legalist church atmosphere, um, and Jay Grimwood was the first guy to actually come in and embrace him and love on him uh, and really explain to my dad uh, the things of God more perfectly. Uh, and I'll never forget him telling a story of being in China. Um, and he was there for a business meeting. And uh, going into this meeting, his boss was like, all right, you know, we're having this dinner meeting. Just don't, don't talk about Jesus. You know, we're, we're working here. And you always somehow, like, bring him up. And, you know, because Jay's just, like, he's an evangelist. His heart is for God. And so he's on this work trip. And he's like, all right, just, just avoid that. It's like, okay, yeah, whatever. So they're in this business meeting, and uh, it's at dinner time, and the sake is, like, getting passed around. Everybody's drinking up, you know. And they, they pass him, you know, a cup of, of sake, and he's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't drink. Like, you don't drink? Like, why, why don't you drink? And he just explained to him, you know, obviously, open door. Well, I don't drink because I like to be in control of, like, I like, Basically, he, he lays out the gospel and says, this is who I serve. And uh, if I'm getting drunk, if I'm drinking this, then I, uh, God will no longer be in control of my spirit, right? And I'm just going to be uh, giving that away, and uh, I'll be susceptible to, you know, who knows what. And uh, the, the business partner that they're meeting with is like, oh, that's really interesting. My, my wife just started talking about Jesus out of nowhere, you know, recently, and, you know, what's he all about? And he's asking for, like, further explanation of the gospel, right? And so he gets to lay out the gospel clearly to this man. And it's nothing, right? He didn't come in guns a-blazing, like, trying to, like, save this man or, like, like throwing out scriptures. Uh, his life, him rejecting uh, strong drink and rejecting this idea of being drunk, him uh, protecting his sobriety led to conversations about Jesus Christ. Uh, his physical reality bore witness to his spiritual reality, and it allowed God to move in his life. Uh, so we must take time to reflect on what our lives reflect to the lost world uh, and trust God to act uh, as like a full moon, right? Reflecting the light of the sun as the wind. That's what we need to be doing. Um, so let's pick it back up in verse 3. It says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus answers with this verily, verily statement. Uh, and whenever we hear a verily, verily, we want to tune in, right? So Jesus is saying, verily, verily, it's meant to grab our attention. Uh, and he's saying that he's declaring a message right now. Uh, Jesus answered uh, a question that Nicodemus didn't even ask. He's like, all right, I'm just going to give you what you need, right? And he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, the point of emphasis here is twofold. It's twofold, okay? The first being uh, a second birth, 
And the second is seeing the kingdom of God, and that's contingent on the first, right? So we can make it really simple with like a math equation. So a person, all of us here have been born once, right? That's why we're here. We've been physically born. Plus a second birth equals seeing the kingdom of God, right? One person plus a second birth equals seeing the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so uh, the answer, uh, he didn't know what this tells us, what this shows us about him. It reveals two things. Uh, about the life uh, of Nicodemus. Uh, one, he doesn't know what it means to be born again. And two, uh, if this is true, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? Uh, so Jesus' uh, question uh, reveals two things. One, he doesn't know what it means to be born again. And two, if this is true, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And uh, Jesus is just so skillful with his words. In one statement, uh, he can completely cripple a person, Right? I think of Hebrews 4.12, where it it talks about the word of God uh, being sharper than any two-edged sword um, and piercing to the dividing of of soul and spirit, right? Uh, So Jesus, uh, using his words in one statement, in one phrase, reveals truth to this man that is of the utmost importance. Uh, It is beyond complex and beyond simple, all in like the same moment. Uh, Jesus has a way of piercing straight to the heart of an issue, uh, the same way that the Bible pierces us. Uh, So key observation number two, key observation number two, the word of God reveals spiritual deficiencies in our lives and in the lives of others. The word of God reveals spiritual deficiencies in our lives and in the lives of others. And this brings us to key point number two. We must use the word of God to reveal spiritual blindness to the lost. We must use the word of God to reveal spiritual blindness to the lost. See, God's word acts as a measuring stick, right? It is a a gauge of truth. Um, I work in the jewelry industry, and I work with diamonds. And whenever you have a diamond, they grade that diamond. So there's a color scale, there's a clarity scale, all these things. But if you were just to throw me a diamond, I could not tell you like what the color of the diamond was. Like I, I have no idea. For me, uh, I need a focus group. So I need like if you give me a diamond and I know it's an ancient color, I can use that to determine other diamonds. Does that make sense? But I need a measuring stick. Uh, in order to, to gauge truth for that diamond, right? Uh, and it's the same for our, uh, our lives. It's the same for us. Uh, the word of God is that measuring stick. Uh, Galatians three twenty four through 25 says, Wherefore the law was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Uh, but after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Uh, so Jesus is the word of God incarnate. Um, we, we, it, and what the word of God does, what the, the law does, uh, is it's meant to show our lack, right? It's showing us uh, ultimately to the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, in John 1, uh, 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, in verse 14, it says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, so Jesus is the word made flesh, 
Uh, and just as the word cuts and divides uh, us, right, based on Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and to the joints and marrow, uh, and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Just as the Bible does that to us, that's what Jesus is doing to this man in the moment when he's confronting him with his, work, with his words. <clears throat> so Jesus acts as the word uh, with his answer. He divides a man against himself. And what he does to this man is he reveals uh, a spiritual lack. In this case, it is spiritual blindness. Uh, Nicodemus cannot see the kingdom of God. And uh, the point uh, was that without the second birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God much less enter it. And if we're studying out the phrase kingdom of God, uh, we'll learn that that is referring to a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God is referring to a spiritual kingdom. And we would learn that the, the spiritual kingdom, rather than being physical, uh, is spiritual, which means that he does not have spiritual sight, right? Uh, so if we look back at the passage, we'll see how he responds in verse 4. It says, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And, and Nicodemus' answer uh, is a logical question. How can I be born again? Right? Can I enter back into my mother's womb? Like, can I, can I get back up in there? No. Right? No. Of course not. And for us, it seems silly, right? Uh, looking back on him, we could be like, what are you talking about? It seems so simple uh, looking back. Uh, but let's remember that Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. He's of the the, the highest um, caliber, he's one of the, uh, the, the, the big men in the faith, right, in this religious system. And he doesn't know uh, the most simple, the most principal, foundational truth about spiritual life, right? Uh, this man is coming to Jesus, and uh, he's coming to him with all these physical questions. Um, he does not understand Jesus' statement because he's trying to rationalize it by physical means. He doesn't understand Jesus' statement because he's trying to rationalize it by physical means. And this is what the lost world does, tries to do constantly. Uh, they constantly seek physical answers to their spiritual questions. Uh, the lost world constantly seeks physical answers to their spiritual questions. Uh, which brings us to key observation uh, number three. Uh, the world is constantly seeking physical answers to their spiritual questions. And key point number three is in response to spiritual questions, we must give spiritual answers. And, and that seems like such you know, a simple truth, right? It seems like a no-brainer. Uh, but I confess to you that all day long, we're being berated with people that are coming with, uh, to us with questions, uh, that have needs, um, that have uh, struggles and deficiencies in their life. And rather than giving them the spiritual answer, uh, as a friend, we don't feel the liberty to do that. And we're just coping, right, uh, by putting Band-Aids over the, their physical alleys. Uh, and it's not good enough. We must, uh, uh, in response to spiritual questions, we must give spiritual answers. Um, I think of uh, Paul uh, with the thorn in his side. I think of uh, the woman at the well. Uh, if we read that passage, uh, she's constantly uh, telling Jesus, you know, our men worship uh, in, in the mountains and the others work, worship in uh, Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, you're missing the question. You just need to be like with me, right? You need to be worshiping me. Uh, and as fleshly human beings, uh, we constantly seek fleshly answers. 
being spiritually blind, we by nature do not seek spiritual answers. We try to, to reason, uh, we try to rationalize with flesh and flawed logic. Uh, we respond to, to spiritual lack uh, with these weak physical substitutes. Uh, we try to, to fill uh, the voids in our lives uh, with bad relationships, uh, with alcohol, with drugs, with work, uh, with food, with fame, with money, uh, with sex, uh, with a foolish perception of love. And uh, this is why in Colossians 3, uh, we're ordered uh, that if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, these spiritual things rather than physical things. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And as believers, we must seek spiritual wisdom, things above, uh, as believers, we must lead others there as well, right? Um, in Acts uh, chapter 8, uh, we see Philip, uh, and uh, he comes to, let's turn there, Acts chapter 8. Verses 30 and 31. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him uh, read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And, and this is what I'm saying. This is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to be. Uh, we're called to be available. We're called to, to have an answer. We're called to give spiritual answers to the lost that are seeking them. Uh, and unless we ask, unless we're uh, provoking those conversations, uh, where is it going to get us? It's not going to get us anywhere. Um, and we must be prepared to give those answers uh, that reveal uh, spiritual truth um, to, to, to the lost world. So uh, Jesus answered with another verily, verily statement after um, Nicodemus asked if we have to be born again. Like, how does that happen? Do we get back into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So Jesus reveals to Nicodemus uh, his mistake, right? He makes very clear the, the nature of the second birth. Uh, the first birth is physical, and the second birth is spiritual. So without a spiritual birth, Jesus says, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And with this single statement, uh, Jesus throws away an entire belief system, right? You see, the, the Jews were anticipating a Messiah that would usher in a physical kingdom. The Jews sought to be justified by their actions, uh, by keeping the law uh, through their works. And in a single statement, Jesus threw away uh, all of this tradition. He threw away all of their works. He threw away all of the justification that they thought they had in themselves. He established a spiritual deficiency and threw away any idea of fleshly sufficiency, right? He threw away any of their physical sufficiency, anything that they thought that they could do by maintaining the law, by their good works, uh, and established a spiritual deficiency in his life. So key point number four, or key observation number four, uh, the world believes that they are good enough in their own strength and in their own works. The world believes that they're good enough in their own strengths and in their own works. 
But, key point number four, we must stow away any notion of the sufficiency of the flesh in the mind of the lost. We must stow away any notion of the sufficiency of the flesh in the mind of the lost. And this is of the utmost importance. Uh, It is uh, what sets Christianity apart uh, from any other religious system out there. Christianity is unique in that it's the only... uh, religion in the world that says that there's nothing that you can do to work your way to God. There's nothing that you can do to work your way to God. There's no way that you can, on your own accord, uh, attain holiness to even reside in his presence. Uh, But he worked his way to us. That's what the scriptures say, that Jesus Christ uh, worked his way to us, that God worked his way to us. Isaiah 64, verse 6 tells us that we are all as unclean things, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. All the things that we think that we're good of, like all the things that we think that we can do, it's filthy rags unto God. Uh, and why? Why is it filthy rags, right? It's because we have sinned and come short of the glory of God, uh, Romans 3.23. And, and the paycheck for our sin, uh, what it earned us is death, uh, according to Romans 6.23. But according to God's grace, we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. Uh, we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. Uh, it's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Um, <clears throat> but what are, we, what are we putting our faith in? Uh, the faith is in the lordship of Jesus Christ uh, and his resurrection. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8-9 uh, refers to this gift, this free gift, as a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if we trust in our flesh, in the physical, in ourselves, for spiritual life, then there's no hope. If we're trusting in ourselves, in our flesh, in physical things, for spiritual life, then we have no hope. Uh, If we could get to to heaven on our own, uh, then Jesus would have never needed to die. If we can get to heaven on our own, then Jesus would have never needed to die. Right? So, key point number five is that we must present the gospel as the answer to the lost. We must present the gospel as the answer to the lost. Jesus left Nicodemus uh, with the gospel. Right? He left, left him with the, the truth uh, of John 3, 16. Uh, he gave him hope in the Son of God, and, and we must preach the same message. We must preach the same message. It's the, the only solution Uh, to the spiritual deficiencies in our lives and in the lives uh, of those around us. Uh, For those of you who who don't know who Jesus is, for those of you who have never trusted uh, on on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, I confess to you uh, that that emptiness, that void inside of your life that you've been trying to fill uh, with all the things of this world um, through success in your careers, through... um, uh, relationships that are weak substitute for love, uh, whatever it may be, uh, all of that sows is, is emptiness. All that is is vanity. Uh, and Jesus is the solution. Uh, in John 3.16, it says um, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And that whosoever believeth in him uh, shall not die. He shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, So God loved us so much that he sent his son, he sent Jesus Christ into the world, uh, not to condemn us because we were already condemned. 
He, he, he sent Jesus Christ into the world uh, to give us spiritual sight, right? Um, the religious ruler, Nicodemus, the highest man in this religious system, uh, had no idea what it meant uh, to, to see the kingdom of God um, because he was trusting in the sufficiency of his flesh and the sufficiency of him being able to maintain and hold the law. And, and Jesus, in one conversation, was able to completely dismantle that. So in this passage, Jesus engaged in a dialogue with Nicodemus, a so-called ruler of the Jews. Jesus is reduced to establishing a core spiritual truth, the nature of spiritual life. And amidst this conversation, Jesus uses physical pictures to bear witness to spiritual realities, right? He uses a a physical picture of being born again uh, to bear witness to the spiritual reality of of having a spiritual birth. And, And these pictures reveal a spiritual deficiency in the life of Nicodemus. Uh, they reveal a spiritual deficiency uh, in the lives of anybody that's not already a son of God. Uh, but luckily, uh, he provides the only solution uh, to the lost world and the son of God uh, and himself and Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's what we have. That's our hope as believers. Uh, that's, uh, you know, our, our spiritual goggles uh, to be able to see uh, the kingdom of God and ultimately to enter into it. Uh, so if any of you aren't familiar with that, if any of you uh, don't know that, if any of you haven't lived in that, uh, haven't experienced that freedom uh, of the second birth, uh, then I beg you, I cry, um, talk to me, talk to someone uh, that, that, that brought you. Uh, I think the worship team is about to come up um, and close us in praise. Uh, but, like I said, um, the lost world, the people around us, uh, they're all looking for physical solutions, right? Uh, they all have an emptiness. They all have a deficiency. They have, all have uh, a void spot. And, and the natural tendency of man is try to, to try to fill that with physical things. It's to build your own empire. Uh, it's to get rich quick. It's to uh, be famous. It's to uh, be full of gluttony. Uh, and in one statement, Jesus dismantles that and says uh, that there is a spiritual reality that you're not aware of. Um, and through the person of Jesus Christ, through putting our faith in him, uh, we can have uh, that spiritual sight. Uh, we can call on him uh, and ultimately have eternal life. Uh, so I love you guys. Um, I praise God for you guys. Um, and uh, just pray that we have a great uh, Labor Day weekend. And I'm excited to, to worship the Lord with you. Thank you.